welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. Hello, Happy New Year. We're starting the new year with more wonderful information. This is the third part of the interview with Professor Mizhu. We talk about using routine charts, some of the risks and alternatives to sticker charts. We look at limit setting for boundary testing behavior and addressing frequent misbehavior. Here's the interview. So another area that often is a cause of contention is bedtime routine and getting dressed in the morning. So I tried creating a routine chart. I'd heard it was a nice way of handing the control back to the child, but I don't think I used it very well. So instead of repeating, please brush your teeth, I just ended up repeating what's next. So do you have any tips around using charts in an autonomy supportive manner? Yeah. Well, charts are, are really helpful, uh, basically, because they're very informative. Mm. So charts tell children what's next, what's the next chore. Um, it helps children know what is the routine and what they, they need to do. Uh, of course, the goal is to... Uh, help children take responsibility for the chart. Mm. Uh, so the co- uh, so when the problem comes up often, maybe we can sit down with the child and, and do the problem-solving thing about the chart and just say, well, we've made that chart, and but now I'm, I'm always reminding you uh, of what, what's next. Um, and I think after a while, we kind of need to sit down with them and say, well, um, do you need help in any way with the, the different steps? We can make sure they feel competent to do the different steps. So depending on on the child, I think if the child is very young, maybe reminders are are uh, helpful for them. So just saying what what's next is a is a cue and that helps them go through the different steps and maybe it is a necessary step before they can actually take responsibility for the whole routine. So I. What I would suggest depends on whether the child is fully prepared to take responsibility for the routine or if or if he's uh, maybe too young or have more difficulty to uh, to um, concentrate on the routine. So but let's say the child is uh, very is older and he could really well do that routine by himself. Well, we can prepare them to say, well, at this point, you can be in charge of the routine. I have many things to do in the morning and that would be very helpful if you could do that and and to to uh, accept the fact that he's going to have to experience the consequences of not being in charge of the routine at the beginning so he can learn that the importance of it. So parents kind of need to know that if we want to to hand the control to the child, we need to accept that there is going to be failure instances at the beginning um, and be prepared to help them cope with it. Yeah, and I guess that's sort of, it's a bit of a parenting decision as to what then happens. For example, if they're in charge of the getting dressed routine, um, what then happens if they're not dressed and it's time to leave? Exactly. Exactly. It can be, let's say you can say it's time, it's time to dress. You can either dress yourself or I'll dress you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and then the child knows that if he's not doing, he's not dressing, then you're going to do it for him. Uh, but I would start with that. I would start at the beginning to say, okay, I know you feel rushed. I know you hate being rushed. Uh, the alarm clock start uh we're in a hurry uh we can give information the clock stops from for no one uh we're we're 
uh, this is not a choice. Uh, I expect you to be dressed, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the routine in the morning, I think one way to, to help is to get up earlier mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and to, to include a playtime in the morning routine that he's responsible to have, like I was saying before. Uh, so that way we don't feel so rushed um, because it, it's not very pleasant for children to, to be rushed in the morning. So part of it um, is is to try to limit those moments where uh, there's no room for mistakes. Yeah, and that leaves you the ability to say, you know, if we can do this quickly, we'll still have that time to play. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. So each parent must decide what the natural consequence is uh, no, is okay for them. How important is it not to be late? Uh, how important to um, is it um, to to not dress them. So it depends how the child will react to the fact that I dress him uh, and whatnot. Um, one thing I've heard that could be helpful is to, for older children to mention that they're, if they're wasting your time in the morning, you can mention that the time that you have to help them get prepared, they can give it back to you the, at the end of the day by helping you with a chore or something. Oh. That's a natural that's a natural consequence where um, he's. The problem is that the child is wasting your time, so he can help with that later on. Um, so, yeah. So there's different ways, but it, it, it's not really possible to say this way will work with every children in every family. It really depends how important the rule is, um, how your child will will react, and what the actual problem is and how we can fix it. And and often children will, if you do the problem-solving exercise, mm-hmm. children often come up with the most creative way of solving things. And, and I think it's worth trying to ask them, how do you see that problem and how do you think we can, we can fix it? And sometimes they, they have, they could say, well, you can put an alarm clock or they can say, you can remind me uh, after, uh, after breakfast or sometimes they have their own way of solving things. And if they, if they come up with the solution, then it's easier to implement. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. And the problem solving is definitely really, really helpful um, catch all sort of thing. The difficulty I've had with problem solving has been just getting my son's attention for long enough. I get frustrated because I'll start one of these, what I feel is an important conversation, then he'll get distracted by something and start wanting to tell me about that. So I'm not quite sure what to do about that. Yeah, maybe you can uh, do it, just have it shorter than or just say, I can see that it's not... I can see that it's not necessarily that important for you to be dressed in the morning. You can mention that it's important for you. For younger kids, I think the the choice between two possible options works well yeah. until they're a little older to um I have I had a, a child who was a little bit like that who was not necessarily uh, focus so much on the daily routine and sometimes the the forced choice between two acceptable option is the best way to go uh, yeah 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 and I guess I guess for me um autonomy support is sort of accepting and acknowledging that he is so sort of easily distracted and consumed by the things he's distracted by um so I guess I sort of need to structure 
my parenting around that too. Maybe if I want to raise those problem solving things, maybe leaving it till um, dinner time or something like that when all he's got to distract him is the food in front of him. And and maybe when uh, just for the routine in the morning, just make sure that he can follow through each step by himself mm. because maybe it's too much for him to, to take responsibility for all these steps yeah. and, and find a way to uh, provide more support or help. Uh, so either by giving little cues or maybe uh, putting the, the clothes near the, or putting the, the, the toys away or being going into a room where there's less distraction. Uh, often when the problem comes up often, there's some, there's a reason behind it and we can try to find what that reason is. And sometimes children just need a little bit more help um, to structure themselves. And I think pays to be patient yeah. to provide the support at the beginning and to, but with the expectations that it's temporary um, and that you expect them to take responsibility for some parts of it. So to be attuned to what they can take responsibility for and what they have more trouble with. Yeah. The next question was, I've avoided using sticker charts because they seem so blatantly reward oriented. Um, I've been tempted though. So what's the potential harm of using sticker charts for tasks that otherwise are no fun anyway? Sticker charts have two components. Mm -hmm. They're informational. So they, they do uh, provide competence feedback. Yeah. Um, and, and when they are perceived as encouraging and, and, and playful, uh, they probably, and they often have positive consequences. But, but the problem with sticker charts is that they can also be perceived as manipulative. Um, and when they do, they do feel very controlling and they can jeopardize the relationship. Um, there's a reason why between adults, we don't use sticker charts. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can, I can, yeah, I can imagine if my spouse would use sticker charts to encourage me to do stuff. I could find it fun for a while, but I could also see it as, as controlling. So it's pretty much the same way with uh, children, but there is an informational component of it. And, and it's true that sticker charts often work on the short term because it gives uh, children uh, very clear information about what they've done well um, so the problem is that it's very hard to predict if the reward will be perceived as encouragement or as manipulative uh, so and even one day can be viewed as encouraging and the other day because you just had a fight or something can be can be viewed as uh, manipulative so my opinion on it is that it's a big chance to take. Rewards uh, can make the parent-child relationship more transactional instead of cooperative because when you give rewards for a behavior, um, children feel entitled to actually refuse that reward and then not do the behavior. Yeah. So what happens? If the child says, I don't want your candy or I don't want your reward, mm -hmm. then um, are we supposed to give a bigger reward <laughs> or are we supposed to say, it's okay, you don't have to clean your room or you don't have to, mm -hmm. to be polite. Um, so, so there's that. Um, danger there. And also rewards actually focus children on the external contingencies of their actions. So, so they, they, they focus on external reasons to do something instead of focusing on the, um, the importance of the 
behavior that we're asking. So it kind of limits the internalization of the value. So when the reward is taken away, then the child doesn't necessarily need to do the behavior anymore because the behavior, they didn't understand necessarily the importance of the behavior in the first place. Um, so if you do use reward, uh, I think it's important to pair it with the information that they need to uh, to understand why something is important. And um, actually, parents can replace sticker charts just by describing the behavior uh, when it occurs. So often uh, parents were really um, focused on telling children what to do, but sometimes it's important to pause and just notice everything that they're doing right. Mm -hmm. And um, instead of saying good girl or a good job or uh, you're wonderful, we can instead um, describe what we see in a way that's very informational without evaluating it. And we let the child praise themselves. So we can say something like, um, wow, I see a child who got home from school, took out his homework and started working by himself. That's what I call taking responsibility. Mm. You know, you describe the behavior, uh, you, I, you lost your hat and you thought of looking into the, um, the drawer of lost and found and you found it. Uh, that's what I called, um, oh, in, in English, I don't know. I, I find it more easier in French to find the, the word, but that's uh, resourcefulness, let's mm, say. Yeah. Okay. And so the, the, when we describe the behaviors that, uh, that the child succeeds in doing, that's also providing information and that's also providing competence uh, feedback. And, and children then have this moment of success that they can take a they they can use forever uh, it's part of their past it's part of one success that they have if we praise children by saying uh, you're wonderful or you're so polite or you're so great um, the next day if they say a bad word then they're no longer polite they're they've lost that trait right yeah. so instead of instead of evaluating our children and one day they're great, one day they're awful, mm -hmm. uh, we describe what they do well and that they can never be taken away from them. So mm -hmm. even if today they, they said a bad word, yesterday they draw a drawing for their little sister that was sad and that's something that they can, that they have with them forever. Mm. So this informational sort of way of talking about things and non-judgmental, um, that's that's a really good point that it applies to the positives as well as the negatives. So sticker charts, I think another problem with sticker charts is that let's say you promise something at, at the end of the week if they succeed in doing things every day and then they fail once or twice, mm -hmm. do you still give the rewards or yeah. do you... And then it becomes very complicated. I think just mentioning it that they succeeded in doing something on Monday, on on Tuesday, on on Friday. Let's say um, we had this problem with shoes on the floor, and I noticed Monday the shoes were picked up, Wednesday the shoes were picked up, uh, Thursday the shoes were picked up. That's enough for them to to feel competent, and and I think it it kind of uh, moves them towards a direction of taking their responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah, and I guess something we do use as adults is to-do lists. 
um, and right. get some satisfaction from ticking it off. So I guess in a way, That's true. not necessarily sticker charts, but something like that could be used more as a to-do list that they can tick off or put a sticker on when they've done it on that day, um, more as feedback from themselves than a reward. Well, the, just the idea, the rewards, as soon as it's perceived as a manipulative, as a way to force them to do things, then it just feels controlling and it won't have the expected outcomes. One way that I could see that it could work, <laughs> but yeah. I haven't tested it. I haven't, I, I'd like, uh, we, we don't know yet, but it could be to, let's say, to draw, to, but I don't recommend it because it's so hard for parents not to point out the days that they've failed at it. Yeah. So, so, but it, it, just to mention the time when they, they succeed at something, I think, and, and maybe to, to put a check mark on the dates of the calendar where they succeed at doing something without necessarily mentioning it. But, um, stickers are so, uh, it's just that they feel sad when they don't get the rewards when yeah. they fail. And so, um, and then we feel bad about that feeling for them. So we kind of give them a, another way of, of compensating. Uh, so do we want them to feel bad when they fail at something or do we want them to feel, uh, understood and, and do we want them to feel that we're there to help them succeed? Yeah. So why well, I think the stickers are not necessarily a good idea to, to mention or to take notes of when they succeed that maybe could work or at least mentioning meant to mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make them feel bad because they forgot something or to, I just don't think it's that useful because they, instead of um, feeling empowered to do better, they'll, feel more sad about what happened and and they they probably will focus on the fact that you're being severe because they had reasons not to be able to succeed you know and that becomes another issue I guess it can be helpful to reflect on our own experience of those sort of things I've like for a while I was trying to exercise more and I would actually mark it on the calendar each time I exercised and I guess that was useful for looking back and seeing that I was improving week by week. I guess sort of taking a similar approach with kids if you decide that there's something that they want to improve on. But, yeah, making sure that the focus is on look how you've improved over time rather than look at when you failed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And to to expect children to that they will not learn right away. And to expect children that will that they will make mistakes and learn from them, and that our our goal or our role is to to show also to model how you react to failure. Mm-hmm. How do you react to failure? Do you react in a way that's very judgmental and punitive, or do you react in a way that's full of compassion and and um, and trust that the person will put more efforts to succeed next time. Yeah, I've heard a a cool way of describing it. They were calling it whenever a child made a mistake or or had a failure or whatever, calling it an experiment. You sort sort of (laughs) (laughs) seeing what would happen if. And, um, yeah, I quite liked that sort of curiosity exploration. Mistakes are just sort of failed experiments in a way. 
and that's when it's important when you feel that the child is experimenting <laughs> i think that's when it's important for for the very important rules to enforce them yeah. because they do sometimes they will try to see if you mean what you say mm-hmm. and that's when it's important to uh, take action to ensure that uh, the problematic behavior is not allowed to persist yeah 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 but without without necessarily judging them and without necessarily um blaming them and that's when we can respect the child's individuality and to uh, show them that we're confident that they can change or that they can that they are um to just to just trust them to show trust yeah. and expectations that they will they do want this to work and they do want harmony in the home as well yeah can we just um recap on on that limit setting because i think that that's an important point so when when they are boundary testing or or that sort of thing what are the sort of steps to an autonomy supportive way to enforce your your limits um well in the parenting program that we're teaching we have different sessions so there's one about um how to encourage cooperation so so before enforcing limits i i just want to re restate the importance of being able to uh, listen to children uh, in a compassionate way first and to talk to them in a more respectful way and that creates the um, that creates the climate of cooperation where children will not be tempted to defy us and they will not be tempted to break the rules on purpose uh, when we use punishment when we punish children uh, and we send them to their rooms and 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 often we need to realize that punishment really just simply doesn't really work uh, children in their rooms are not thinking about all everything that they did wrong or or um or the the values that they're breaking or or why or the way that they could do things differently what they're thinking about is probably how unfair it is that they're the one who's been sent to their rooms or maybe they're trying they're thinking about how mean you are or they're thinking about what are the different ways i can do this without being caught mm. you know it's a different kind of um setting so so the way that we can react to misbehavior or just to to when children are not uh, able to follow the rules or they're, they're not compliant um, we can provide information uh, so we can we can describe the problem we can state uh, the, our feelings of uh, frustration that I have to say that it's important to keep it uh, without um, too too high intensity so we voice what's going on before we get really angry as much as possible. We can offer um, different choices of acceptable behaviors. So we describe the problem. We can say that this is not possible right now. Uh, this is not a choice. Uh, and then we can sit. So th- this, the rule is we repeat the rule. We, we state our expectations. Uh, so I expect uh, it's time for dinner. I expect you to come at dinner when it's time to, uh, to come at dinner. Um, and then, and then if nothing happens, that's when we need to be ready to take action to, to follow through with our expectations. So either we can, we can, um, remove an, the problematic object, uh, we can, 
we can stop everything and wait for the child to cooperate. We can uh, ask for reparations. So there's different ways we we can take action. But the the goal is to orient our behavior to solve the problem. Uh, so let's say the child is ignoring us and it's time for dinner. We can go and and meet see them and see what they're doing and and stop what they're doing so that they can go for dinner and just mention that we expect them to come by themselves next time. And if that doesn't work, then we go into problem solving. Problem solving is often the end result of of client behavior, but but the the I think what the what's nice about problem solving is that it it makes children kind of take our perspective too. We're people, and parents have feelings too, and and I think it's important to um, to teach children to take both perspective uh, without necessarily telling them all our feelings. Children are not there to support us, uh, but it it is important to to um, expect them and to ensure that they uh, consider other people in the way that they behave. Yeah, okay, that's great advice. I went to a workshop on confrontation a, a long time ago and I remember them talking about using the format of when you do this, I feel, as opposed to you make me feel. The language you use can be really important, I guess, as to what it conveys about whether you're judging them or giving them information. I think the first step is really to to look at how we listen first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when they if they're defiant and if they're if they're um a- like trying to make us feel bad, maybe it's time for us to to look at how we react when when they're not doing things properly. Are we attacking their correct uh, character? Are we telling them that they're they're unacceptable? Are we judging them? Uh, so how are we talking to them? Are we blaming them? Are we criticizing them? And are we listening? with full attention or we're always telling them that what they're feeling is wrong. And I think that's very the basis uh, of creating that collaborative uh, um, relationship because everything I said about reacting to misbehavior just simply won't work if the parent is being respectful in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Having the right climate to sort of raise those sort of things. Exactly. I've found this information so helpful. I've been working on rephrasing my statements as information rather than requests, and the kids seem much more willing to help when I do. The link to the book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen, How to Listen So Kids Will Talk, is in the show notes again. And they are at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash autonomy three. Autonomy three. So I'm still working my way through that book. I've also created downloadable tip sheets directly from the book. So please go over to the show notes um, to download those. I have them on our wall to remind Tim and I. The tip sheets will gain a lot more nuance if you read the book though. So please use them as a reminder, not a replacement for the book. So next time we talk more about the parenting course based on the book and the book itself. We also talk about the parenting beliefs behind autonomy, supportive and controlling parenting behavior and supporting older children as they move from a more controlling environment to an autonomy-supportive one.